Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 54, the best horror comedies. So uh, for me, I love both of these genres. Both of these genres rely very heavily on the element of timing, and it's very easy to mess up both genres. But if you get them right, both horror and comedies can be something great. But if you meld the two... It can be like a great peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm chilling, man. It's been a crazy week. Uh, had a long weekend with wrestling, but you know we're trying to get back in the groove. But it's it's been tough. <laughs> it, yeah. It's really tough going from uh, a, two days of a crowd absolutely hating you on purpose, obviously. Um, to, and just like have, living your dream, and to go back on Monday to just the regular job. So oh, it, there's it, reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Yeah, basically. Um, and so another quick disclaimer of: normally our episodes drop every Wednesday. This will drop on Thursday because right as we were about to record last night, um, our washer flooded. So like. Uh, let's not do that. So more or less the pipe that like kind of goes out and like deposits all the water once it's done, like came out of this place that it's supposed to be. So basically all the water from the washer wasn't like overflowing from the top. It was just like straight up pouring out once we eventually figured that out. Yeah, that was a fun night. It wasn't too bad and that area is still pretty damp, but by and large, it wasn't the end of the world, but still... Postpone us for an evening because you really wouldn't yeah. want to hear the sound of vacuuming in the background of our podcast. <laughs> well, I'm glad everything is not completely destroyed. So you mean like the relationship between Disney and Sony? Oh, but somebody saved it, though. Like, it's not terrible right now. Someone is our true hero. So last week <laughs> we talked about how Disney and Sony were able to mend fences and more or less bring... Well, keep Spider-Man back in the MCU. But apparently, uh, what we didn't know at the time, and we know now, is there was a very particular person we really need to be thanking for why this happened. Spider-Man himself, Tom Holland. This man. What a guy. What a guy. The interesting thing to me was reading the story behind everything. So for those that don't know... He legitimately like got a hold of somehow the phone number for the head of both Sony and Disney and was like, guys, we've got to work something out for Spider-Man's sake. Yeah. So this was around uh, the we'll call it the divorce, for lack of a better term, uh, came around D23 and Bob Iger was going to be at D23. So he was like asking people around because Tom Holland was also going to be at D23 for his and Chris Pratt's movie Onward. And also, if anybody can make this deal happen in terms of playing for both teams, it's Tom Holland because he got Onward with Disney, but also he's got Uncharted with Sony and Spider-Man. Yep. But um, So yeah, like Josh said, he asked literally everyone he could with a higher uh, power for Disney, what's Bob Iger's number? What's Bob Iger's number? I want to call him and we. I want to see if there's any chance... It's just like this eternal optimism of, is there any chance that we can save Spider-Man? And Bob Iger's just like, all right, I think we may have jumped the gun here, 
and we didn't do the fans right. And so uh, Bob Iger got on the, phone, on the phone with people over at Sony, and they kind of got back to the table. So on screen and off, Tom Holland is just a hero. Yeah, well, like like you said, the eternal optimism of Tom Holland because he it just the the fact that a young like the kid's like what twenty three I think he's like if real that, young. Yeah. yeah, like so the he's like is this passionate already about a project is is simple but as much weight as it does hold as Spider Man. I mean that's that's a big deal, dude, and. It's nice to see a celebrity um, using their power for a good reason. Like a lot of times, you'll see hear stories of celebrities be like using their clout to ask for more money or uh, more creative control. Yeah. Edward Norton with Hulk, um, but this time it's Spider Man. Not necessarily asking for more money, just going, "Hey guys, the fans like this. I like this. I'm a fan." Can we find a way to work this out? Yeah. So, uh, transitioning to another comic book-related property, The Joker came out this past weekend. I'll talk about it in just a second. But it was initially um, opening to around $93.5 million, which breaks the record for an October release. It uh, beat the record previously held by Venom, which was almost beaten by Halloween in 2018, but just barely missed the cut. Uh, however, the estimates for that were off by about $2 million. So now, uh, the final tally for Joker's opening weekend is $96 million, which is pretty amazing for a very specific audience, hard R, very hard R-rated film. But what's interesting about this is pushing it to 96 puts it above the 93 million dollars Justice League made opening weekend. Um Josh, have you seen Joker and if you have or haven't, why do you think what do you attribute to the success of Joker this weekend? So, I have not had a chance to see it yet, but that's that's more of a timing thing than anything else cuz I I, I I, I really, really want to see it. The big thing I think that, that it is attributed to for me is I don't think that this is being, now that it is out, being received as a comic book movie. And more as a, what's the word? More as a... Drama? Allegory. Drama or allegory or whatever for what the current state of mental health and how we deal with that is in is currently in in the United States because it's very much like hey like this guy's mentally ill he needs help and like the things that unfold that lead him to being who he is at least from the reviews and a lot of the you know the the philosophy that I've read on it that's what I, what I've gotten from it is that it people are not necessarily going to see this because it's a comic book movie yeah, so um, it's a movie that I think in the long term, yes, it broke Venom's record, but I don't see it making more money than Venom because, uh, at least in my experience, from the people that have seen it, myself included, um, once is enough. This is not a movie that you're going to yes. go out and see multiple times. It is not one of those type of movies. It is not a happy-feeling movie. It will 
give you a nasty feeling in the pit of your stomach. It is not a comfortable movie. Um, I will be perfectly honest, and I feel like I'm going to need a support group for this. Um, I didn't like the movie. I came away kind of disappointed. Maybe my expectations were too high because everyone was raving about it. Um, I I love a good slow burn yeah. movie. I really do. But I felt like this at times was a little too slow for its own good. Like once we get to him truly being Joker, it was pretty good. Um, but at times it felt like the movie was trying too hard to more or less pat itself on the back of, look how dramatic and serious we are. Do you do you get that he's messed up? Do you do you get that he's not getting the help he needs? Do you, do you get it? Do you get it? It's like it it yeah. lacked any form of subtlety, but also. Some people will attribute this to, well, it's just part of the Joker, but uh, I don't like when movies rely too much on um, the unreliable narrator tactic, and that was very yes. prevalent for this movie. Uh, there's a lot of inconsistencies, and people will be like, well, that's just Joker, and it's up for interpretation. And I, and I get that. It just, for me personally, it just didn't work for me. Uh, Joaquin yeah. Phoenix is great. Um, he's... He's fine. He's really, really good. But to me, it's some, I don't know what it is. Something just didn't click. Um, but it is not a movie that your people are going to be rewatching. They'll be like, Oh, I need to see Joker three or four times. It's, it's like prisoners. The really, it's really good, but I don't need to see it multiple times. Once every couple of years is probably going to do just fine. Um, so like we said, now that it's, at 96 million opening weekend as opposed to the original 93.5 that pushes it over Justice League's opening weekend. Um, Josh, if you look at it, why do you think that is? Is it more of people were just really amped and excited for Joker or is it the failure of Justice League that it didn't do better? Ooh, that's tough. I, um... I do think people are were excited to see this. I agree in that I don't think this is quite what people were expecting it to be. Um, like you said, like I think you and I have said, I don't think that they hit home that this is like often enough that this is an Elseworld story and not necessarily, you know, the Joker that we're going to be getting. Um but I do think people are excited to see this. I I think much attributed to the success of Aquaman, the success of Shazam, people are a little bit more open to seeing what DC has for them next. Yeah, I think people trust DC more now than when, uh, when Justice League came out. I think also with Justice League, it was like common knowledge how much of a problem behind the scenes that movie was. That being said, Justice League yes. should have been a walk in the park to at least a hundred million opening weekend. So I still kind of attribute that as Justice League definitely did live did not live up to expectations, both critically and financially. I will still defend Justice League as a decent time. I think it's still a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yes, there's a lot of issues, but um, I think people are just more apt to trust and go out to see a DC movie now than when Justice League came out. But that could just be me. Yeah. I, I agree, though. It's uh, it definitely 
do I think that it was a smart move to make a movie like this right now? Not really, considering, you know, that we're all used to these movies that exist in the same world. Um, I would, I can make the argument, I feel like I can make the argument that maybe it would have been a smarter idea to make this kind of movie uh, before you just attempted to, to build a world. Um, but that's not to say that I don't appreciate what they tried to do with this. Fair enough. Um, now, switching to another Joker-esque related topic, but I don't think we'll be seeing Joker in that universe anytime soon, is Matt Reeves' Batman universe. So, um, last week I told Josh that there was something off mic that I wanted to talk to him about in regards to the Nightwing and Batgirl movie. Well, I was going to talk about that off mic because there wasn't that many sources were talking about it that I felt like it was going to be a news topic for us. However, over the past week, more and more like actual credible sources like Forbes is putting this out there, so I feel like it's worth talking about. Um, so, I believe it's 2017 now, the Nightwing standalone um, movie was announced for the DCEU, and naturally, I just lost my mind. Um, and then we heard absolutely nothing about it. Well, now there may be a reason for why we haven't had any, heard any development between that and the Batgirl movie. So it all comes down to Matt Reeves' Batman movie. So uh, apparently what's going on is Matt Reeves is scheduled to make a whole trilogy, that much we know, uh, and Robin may appear at some point in that trilogy, and that um, out of that trilogy and out of that appearance... That's how we get the Nightwing spinoff of he's first introduced as Robin in Batman movies. Then we get Nightwing, and then we do the same thing with Batgirl. I've introduced her in these Batman movies, then we spin her off into her own trilogy. The Batman story. I think this is a thousand times better of a way to go than just... Yeah, absolutely. Plop, plop, here's Nightwing, which you absolutely could do. But a key... Well, because... And I think... Go ahead. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I was just like, are you going or not? Are you going or me? Um, I hey. think a key key part of... Um, of Dick Grayson's story, yes, you could introduce him just straight up off the bat as Nightwing, but a big part of who he is is his Robin years of... Robin is part of his identity. It's part of his history. It's what makes him Nightwing, essentially, is his disagreements with Batman's philosophies of being something else. Um, So while I was super jazzed to see a Nightwing movie, I'm actually more excited to see him first introduced as the boy Wonder. Yes. Well, and because much like what we've got going on with Joker, it's you can't have a character without knowing first where his head's at you can't understand why nightwing moving out of gotham and like you know dick grayson moving out of gotham and away from batman why that's actually such a big deal for dick why that matters so much unless you know the max story now um the question is when do we think dick grayson will show up in these um matt reeves batman movies and how old um, I don't think he'll um, be in the first I one. Think the, the rumor is that Robin's going to be in this one, right? 
I don't know if he'll be in the first one. Um, I'm on the fence about it. I'm 50-50. I would absolutely love to see Dick Grayson right off the bat. But I can see them using the first Batman movie to more or less just establish who this new Robert Pattinson Batman is. And then, Mm -hmm. oh my heart, if there's an end credits scene of Batman walking along the pier and just sees a sign with a big circus tent in the background for the Flying Graysons, and that's it. Yeah, that would be perfect. That's exactly, and that's like the end of your movie, just to like know, okay, we're going in this direction now. I'm just looking forward to the fact that Matt Reeves is willing to embrace this um, comic book Bat family, which a lot of movies, almost all the movies up till this point, except for Batman and Robin of all things, has kind of avoided of yes batman is not a solo character as much as movies try and paint him as one he needs robin he needs batgirl he needs alfred um there's other talks that i've heard is the first two um there could be the first two matt reese batman movies and then the third one takes a leap forward in time and that's when robin and batman split leading to the nightwing movie i can see that though i can see I could definitely see uh, that them, you know, we have this, you know, this journey with, you know, Dick and Batman, and we get to learn who they are and who they are together, and then to jump forward and then suddenly be a part—that's a part of the story. Yeah, as so long as you make the see, I like the fact that you can introduce him as a kid first because then you have more time to get used to the character, but also he can grow into the role, a la uh, Tom Holland as Spider-Man. We've seen him grow in that role. Uh, it's, yeah. I still think why he's a great choice for Nathan Drake. We can see him grow up into the role of Nathan Drake. Same thing with uh, uh, Dick Grayson. It's so, trust me, I've tried. It's hard to cast a Nightwing in his prime, but if you start it with a kid, he can grow into that role. It's, I think it's easier to cast Dick Grayson the boy wonder Robin than it is adult um, Bloodhaven Dick Grayson. Yeah, I agree. Now also uh, with the Batgirl thing, it's very interesting to keep in mind, we will not have um, the traditional, we more than likely won't have the traditional redheaded Batgirl when you think about it. Yeah. Because um, Jeffrey Wright is Commissioner Gordon. And as we know from the comics... Well, I mean, you could make the argument maybe she, like, colors her hair. But, yeah, I Yeah, maybe. Um, I'm saying, like, the red-headed, Caucasian Batgirl. Yeah, traditional... There's a very good chance that may not happen. And that's totally fine with me. From the casting reports we're hearing, um, Matt Reeves is trying to have uh, more actors of color for, like, Catwoman or Commissioner Gordon, which, sure, go for it. Uh, I just think that's interesting to note. And it's also interesting that we're actually getting some form of progress on the Batgirl movie, which up until this point, I genuinely thought was just a cover-up movie to bring in Joss Whedon for Justice League. Yeah. Um, because I he also gets brought on, it- gets brought on for the reshoots, and then mysteriously can't figure out the movie right after the movie comes out. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know, man. I, it would be interesting, and, you know, because uh, traditionally Gotham is always thought of to be Chicago. Like, it would make sense to have more people of color. Yes. Uh, and the one name that I always hear, well, that has thrown his hat in the ring for Dick Grayson, 
uh, is Til- uh, I can never pronounce his name right. Timothy Chalamet? Chalamet? Who? The Call Me By Your Name Academy Award dude. Um, I'd have to see him. If we're going with a Tim Drake and we're still going with young actors, I'd go with the guy that played um, Bill from It. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, it's not going to be the common thing because everyone likes to give him crap because he shows up in everything. But if we're going with a boy wonder version, not an adult yet, a boy wonder version of of Dick Grayson Robin, I could see Finn Wolfhard. Oh, absolutely. That actually would be a lot of fun. Either him or the dude that played, um, maybe not Will. Will could be a good Tim. Yeah. Um, but Gosh, Tim. it's just it's okay, nice like, to know that there actually may, in fact, for the first time in recorded history, be a planet over at DC. Yeah. Over absolutely. at Warner Brothers. Now, I'm going to try my best to contain my excitement for this next story. But that ain't going to happen as I'm sure I'm going to go crazy quite a bit for this. So we've talked quite a bit about Halloween Kills, the next Halloween movie in this series, which honestly seems more like a proper sequel to the original Halloween, more so than Halloween 2018 is. And now it seems like it is even more so. So up until this point, we've had uh, Tommy Doyle returning, Lindsay Wallace returning, uh, Nurse Marion Crane, which we didn't talk about, but she's coming back. Now, not a particular person, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, uh, not a particular person, but a particular location that is iconic in the Halloween franchise is returning. Haddonfield Memorial Hospital, the location of almost all of the second film before it got retconned. Um, this, to me, opens up a world of possibilities. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I actually got more excited for this than both the Tommy Doyle and the Lindsay Wallace thing combined because um, it got my brain thinking, which is always incredibly dangerous, um, of when we left our characters in 2018's Halloween, they're pretty banged up. I would not be surprised if they go seek medical attention at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital, and then we get kind of two parallel stories from both the original, like what happened, what happened in 1978, and now in the current timeline. So you kind of have like two stories at the same time, but you're not yeah. completely rehashing Halloween too. I mean, I would hope that you wouldn't. Um, I also. I'm curious as to if maybe do you think they'll bring back that him and uh, Laurie are, are brother and sister? No, I think that's I think that we are going to back to the hospital and I wouldn't be surprised if they recreate two in some sense, but they leave that part out intentionally because if they're going to end up making Laurie and Michael brother and sister again, they could have just said we scrapped all the sequels except for Halloween 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, but 
I think they can throw the fans a bone. Um, besides a character that we'll talk to talk about in literally just a second, now that we are bringing back Haddonfield Memorial Hospital, which was a thing from two, we can bring back one of the people that worked at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital in two, named Jimmy the Orderly. Because, <laughs> yes, it's one of the few characters that actually survived. Yes, you have to watch one of the alternate version, alternate endings in the movie, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Jimmy is actually one of the few good male characters in the Halloween pantheon that actually survives. Uh, and it was always kind of implied that Jimmy ended up with Lori after their hospital incident. And so now that he's no longer existing in canon anymore, it'd be kind of nice to throw him a bone and bring him back into the universe. Um, I I just think there's so many possibilities here. I'm still sticking with my theory that we're going to have two separate timelines of events that happened in the past immediately after, the, in this new timeline, immediately after the events of the original Halloween and now. Um, yeah. But just as excited People- as I am... For Haddonfield Memorial Hospital, I'm excited for one character to come back that I have been clamoring for for weeks and weeks and months. Isn't that right, Josh? Yes, absolutely. Every, every time I got a chance, there's one character that I asked for, and now it seemingly is confirmed the return of Sheriff Brackett, which if he's still a sheriff after 40 years, how, how long really, is it for that's a sheriff? Fault. Oh, jeez, I don't even know. Heather's saying 25 years. I don't know. 25, huh? So, okay, why am I clamoring for Sheriff Brackett so much? Because um, in the original timeline, which I know is not canon anymore, but Sheriff Brackett is one of the only characters, only one of the only good guy characters that actually never died. So um, he's the sheriff in the first one. And then when he realizes that Annie Brackett, his daughter, died because Michael Myers killed her, he goes to tell his wife what happened, and then we never see him again. And then we find out in Halloween 4 that he retired and moved to Florida. So he was still always alive. But not just that. uh, In the sequels to Halloween and everything else, literally every character except for Brackett got some form of a return in one way or another. Tommy Doyle came back in Halloween 6, played by Paul Rudd. Um, Lindsay Wallace might have been in Halloween 5. We we don't really know for sure. Uh, Marion Crane returning H2O. Brackett never really got the chance to come back, even though he was such a great character. And I'm just, I'm really glad to see him coming back. Played by the original actor, too. Now, I think he's absolutely going to die. Make no mistake. Because he's... Yeah. Older actor, however, I want him to go out in a blaze of glory because of all characters not named Laurie Strode, he has the most reason to go after Michael Myers. Because yeah, oh, absolutely. He was especially if the the killing thing. Yeah, his daughter died in the first film, and literally no one else in this returning cast has any other connection. Like, yes, the Strode family has been traumatized by Michael Myers, but Tommy and Lindsay, yes, they were scared, but they weren't hurt by Michael. Whereas Sheriff Brackett lost family. I'm sure that traumatized him. So now knowing that Michael's back, I'm sure he's got a mission just as strong as um, 
Lori. So I would love to see them uh, give him this great story, and maybe he goes out in a blaze of glory. I don't think we're going to kill Michael for this one because we know Halloween ends, but maybe he has like a one uh, strong last stand to buy some people some time, and he either like blows himself up with Michael or just puts a couple round. <laughs> he shoots him six times as a tribute to Loomis. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm just excited to see what story they tell with Brackett. Happy to see him return. Happy to see uh, Haddonfield Memorial Hospital come back. Um, Josh, what do you see with him coming back or with the hospital coming back? What Does this get you more excited for Halloween Kills? He's staying about the same. What are you making of all this? I think I'm still about the same. Um, part of that, I think, is just because I, I don't really care who comes back. I just, unless you're going to bring back uh, Buster Rams. Uh, but um, I'm just, I'd rather have a good story. So just, you know, give me a good movie. Well, I think we'll be all right. I think we, I'm putting this on record now. I actually think this will be the second best movie in the entire franchise. Because this, the, the yeah. characters that they're bringing back and the story they seem to be telling, this feels like a sequel to the original with how many people they're coming back. Like, uh, Halloween 2018, I always say it's the Force Awakens of the Halloween franchise. It copies a lot of the same beats as the original movie, but tells it in a fresh new way for a new audience. This movie feels more like, all right, we got the audience back. Now we're going to um, kind of repay the diehard fans like this, this one has some pretty deep cuts of, all righty, here's, here's one for the diehards. And I'm as a Halloween diehard, I appreciate it. And it should be great. Yo. Yeah, absolutely. Now something, I don't know if it'll be great or not. Um, Disney apparently is doing a reboot of inspector gadget. Well, let's be honest. They've got nowhere to go, but up. I mean, yes, but I won't lie to you. There was a strong part of me that was really excited for this. <laughs> See, um, I don't know if it's animated or live action. I believe it's going to be an animated reboot, which is kind of what the franchise needs because go back and watch the Matthew Broderick one. It is not as good as you remember. I mean, I guess, but here's the thing, dude. That is like... Epitome '90s, so yes, because it had Matthew Broderick in it. Yeah, exactly. So, but like, I'm gonna chalk it up to that, and I, I would think that you know, if he did a live action now, it would not only look different, it would feel more like way different than that. Yeah, um, I never really grew up watching the Inspector Gadget cartoons, like the original, um. Like it was on like what was it Toon Disney at the time, but I never I never really watched it. I know of it, like I know uh, Inspector Gadget, Penny, who does most of the actual work. Um, but I think this is cool. I can I don't know if it'll be a big hit or not, but I th- I would not be surprised at all if this is a Disney Plus exclusive. Yeah, I, I would agree, but. So long as it's animated, I think it'll be fine. Live action is where I would get very concerned, or they say Matthew Broderick's coming back. Yeah, I don't know about that one, bud. That's a lot of fish. Oh, wait, wrong Matthew Broderick movie. Ah, got him. 
right, well, that's it for movie news. We have one more news topic before we want get into our general discussion, though, and that is the PlayStation 5. Now, both Josh and I are, uh, I don't know if we'd say diehard. We're, we're kind of more casual gamers. Yeah, I, at but this we, point, I, I'm definitely more of a casual gamer. Um, but we both are PS4 people because Xbox is terrible. At least this generation. I mean, uh, like 360, one of the greatest depend. consoles of all time. Xbox One. Um, yeah, but like I also one of the best like, purchases I've ever made. Um, that being said, I I think it is time to start looking at the horizon. And this was the worst kept secret in all of video gaming that we would be getting the PlayStation Five. Uh, this is sooner than I was expecting because um, Sony has come out and said that it will be coming holiday season of next year. So that could range anywhere from October to December, but probably before yep. Black Friday. Um, Josh, what are your expectations for this next console of gaming for PlayStation? Um, I don't know, man. I think... It- it's going to be, I mean, it, you can sit here and be like the cliche stuff of like, it's going to be more powerful. It's going to do like more. Nick cliche? Yeah. Um, I don't know, dude. Like, it, games already look incredible now. Um, so it's hard for me to imagine anything looking better than what they do now. I, the only thing I could think of is maybe them running smoother. Oh, no, uh, I can think of something that they need to that they're actually currently being beaten by Microsoft in. Oh? If they've already announced that this is happening, which desperately needs to, 4K video capability. Oh, yeah. I get that it wasn't on the PlayStation 4, like, initially, because it was still at 1080. And you're right, games still look good. But when they hyped up the release of the PlayStation Pro of, like, superior graphics. Um, I kind of expected it to be a, um, definitely a higher resolution, closer to 4K gaming. And PlayStation Pro and PlayStation only has a very slight difference, whereas Xbox One has more um, 4K capabilities. Like, I was expecting the PlayStation Pro to have, like, a 4K Ultra HD um, disc player, and it doesn't. Um, I almost guarantee that this new one would have. Uh, Yes, because 4K is more or less becoming the standard for everything. Everything's getting slowly moved in that direction. Um, Some of the stuff I did read about, though, was uh, they're changing up the controller a little bit. Which I'm kind of on the fence about that. Um, Josh, you want to explain what you mean by this? Controller from some of the stuff, it's going to be a little heavier, uh, mainly par- partially due to they're taking out the traditional like uh rumble pack, you know, which is, uh, is for all your vibrations and stuff, uh, and putting a different system in, uh, that's supposed to be more realistic. I don't know exactly what that means, but so, uh, what also- that means from what I read is like, um, say your character is walking through mud you are going to have more resistance in your joystick, like you're actually walking through mud. Um, If you're pulling back an arrow, it's going to have more resistance to it. It's going to try and immerse you more. Um, I'm wondering if it's going to be one of those features that, like, it sounds cool on paper, but you kind of turn it off after two weeks because it gets frustrating. I I can see that. But, like, and that was the thing that kind of gripped me, though, was they're putting that into the adaptive triggers as well. So how you pull, how how it feels to pull a trigger on a shotgun 
is going to feel different through the controller if you pull the trigger for like a like an assault rifle or something mm. or or bow or, or something which would be to me would be so interesting. like for call of duty if you have like a heavier gun it's going to have more kickback to it and whatnot exactly like and in that in you know traditionally that kind of uh, timing would be done through like gaming animations and stuff like that whereas now the animation wouldn't be doing the work it'd be the controller itself so the developers could be do a better job like they, they wouldn't have to add all of these extra animations and stuff like that yeah fair enough um looking ahead it seems like the major games for sony already kind of knew that this console was coming because uh yes last of us 2 is finally coming next year and i think uh that could have been served really well as a brand new game for the playstation 5 but i think there's going to be a couple games that they have in their back pocket of um a lot of times when a new system launches they don't have great games at launch. That's why whenever a new console comes out, I'm always reluctant to buy it right away. Because when PlayStation 4 launched, the only thing that they had more or less was Infamous Second Son. Um, but there's a couple big name franchises that are just waiting on sequels that I would not be surprised if Sony holds off for a little bit and launches them with PlayStation 5. Like a new God of War game on PlayStation 5, perhaps. Which, if they stick with their guns and they're the uh, the five is coming in uh, Christmas of 2020, that that makes about that makes a lot of sense because that's about two year, two or three years. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it'll be three years by the time it comes. I guarantee but, you that there's a sequel coming, and the first no, one no, looked that, amazing. From what so, I heard, yeah, from what I heard, it's supposed to be a trilogy. Yeah. Um. So if the first one looked great in 1080 if it's in 4k whoo oh, dude game now, the one, over now god of war is your department um my department spider-man 2 i bet you anything they're holding off on making a new spider-man game for playstation 5 now if you told me like spider-man's got a huge new york you've played it you know swinging through new york is one of the most fun things in the world if you told me like New York is three times the size in this new Spider-Man game, and you can interact with almost everything, and it'll look even better? Oh, man. Yeah. Like, dude... And that was the thing, too. Spider-Man was such a breakout game. Like, everyone thought it could be good, but I don't think anybody really knew it was going to nope, be as good I expected good as that game to wholeheartedly suck. Oh, yeah. Because it's a Spider-Man game, and that... One of the few things in life is that's guaranteed is life, death, taxes, and Spider-Man games are going to suck. Oh, absolutely. But it didn't. Yeah, and, and it's I great. I attribute that to mostly because the story was so interactive and actually pretty immersive. And they nailed the web-slinging. Oh, absolutely. Now, um, I know this franchise ended um, like four... Oh, gosh. It ended, I think, four years ago now. But it's almost synonymous now with... If you have a new PlayStation console, you need a new Uncharted game. Do you, though? (laughs) I will boot you off right now. (laughs) No, I know. I... Because I... Correct me if I'm wrong. The very first one was on PlayStation 1, right? Or was it PlayStation 2? 
You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> I've never played the series. So I know I at least two no... and three were on two and either PlayStation two or three. And then the big, one of the big titles when PlayStation four came out was uncharted four. Um, yes. Nathan's story seems to have been drawn to a close at uncharted four, which is still the best game I've ever played. And one of my favorite games ever. Um, but there's a lot of, um, new ways you can take the direction if you wanted to have his daughter take over the franchise or it was kind of implied that Sully and his brother go off and do their own thing. I would love those. I just want more Uncharted. Lost Legacy was fine as an expansion, but my Uncharted itch will never be scratched. That, that sounds, I think, more uncomfortable than I think you meant to. <laughs> Why? Why you got to be the way you are, Josh? Uh, well, how much time do you have? <laughs> well, normally we run between an hour fifteen and an hour thirty. But do you want to get yeah, to the main discussion fair. now? Yeah, let's go with discussion, bro. Do you have a sponsor for us this week? Um, my sponsor this week is uh, Epsom Salt uh, because my body would literally be falling apart without Epsom Salt baths. Why do I get the sense that you're just being held together by sticky tape and glue and two hours of sleep? Um, because you'd be pretty spot on. What's that <laughs> tape that Cesaro always has on his shoulder? Uh, KT tape? Dude, that stuff is the best. I was about to say, you just seem like you're held together with wrestler tape and NOS. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Where's the lie? <laughs> All right. Well, Josh and I both like to laugh, naturally, and be scared. But we don't really get scared too often in horror movies. But if you meld the two, horror comedies, if you do them right, sometimes it's hard to get them right, but if you do them just right, is a great combination. So that's what we're going to talk about today, our all-time favorite horror comedies. Uh, I was To kick us off, I was actually really tempted to do this episode next week. Because the first movie we're going to talk about, its sequel, comes out next week. But I get the feeling that that movie's not going to be great. So we're going to talk about it this week instead. (laughs) Zombieland. Yay! The cult classic. Because anybody that says that they saw it in the theaters and loved it is wrong. Yeah, it's like those people that claim they saw Dread in theaters. No. Yeah, get out of here. Your pants are literally on fire right now. No one saw Dread or Zombieland in theaters. Both flop, but have somehow found new life. And to be honest, besides The Social Network, this is the only movie that I actually like Jesse Eisenberg in. Really? Have you have you seen American Ultra? I tried, and I just could not get really? into it. Really? I actually kind of enjoyed him in that. Anyway. Um, Woody Harrelson is yeah, always I, great. Um, oh, man. The obsession of Twinkies has become a cultural staple. Okay, so right now, uh, since we live in Orlando, Halloween Horror Nights is going out, and one of the scare zones is a Zombieland scare zone, and there's a little um, truck that's filled with snowballs, and I always laugh and have to point it out, just like, yep, because there's not a Twinkie to be seen. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not the taste, it's the consistency. <laughs> yep, I don't mind the taste, it's the texture. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, Emma Stone... Great. I'd, it's a such a good ensemble cast. And rewatching it, like, not a lot actually 
happens. It's all the character oh, interactions, all- but it's such yeah endearing interaction. Plus, we can't talk about Zombieland without talking about arguably the greatest movie cameo of all time. And Bill Murray? Bill freaking Murray. There's five people left on the face of the earth, and one of them is M- Bill Murray. <laughs> Sorry, I know that's not your middle name, but I'm just so excited. <laughs> yeah, and then they do Ghostbusters in Bill Murray's house, and then you shot Bill Murray. I've never hit a kid before. <laughs> Ooh, don't worry. Oh, man. And without cool. giving away too much, I did see in the second trailer that he is coming back. Bill Murray? Which, it seems like it, it may be a flashback scene, but come on. You have to have him back. He's even in the scare zone at Halloween Horror Nights. And that was the one yeah. person that I, like went out of my way to make sure that I found them. And... You, you just have to. Bill, I think Bill Murray is part of the reason why that movie's so great. Well, it's very entertaining, honestly. But, like, even, like, the, the simple things, like, he states early on that, uh, like, how, how much he hates clowns. And then one of the final, you know, zombies he's got to face is a clown zombie. Like, simple things like that. Like, it was, it was really, and his reaction to it was, like, really? Like, this is what's about to happen? All right, fine. <laughs> I always like the integration of the rules, like rule one, cardio, rule two, the double tap. Yes. Or enjoy the little things. Well, and I I think for me, that's what set it apart from your normal like zombie film is it felt less, less like a doom and gloom and more like, all right, so this is the world now. We're just trying to figure out how to live. Yeah. Um, also, quick side note, everyone always seems to forget that Amber Heard is in that movie, too. Who? Mara from Aquaman is in that movie as his neighbor. Oh, yeah, the one that, like, is, goes zombie and he, to... like, breaks her ankle or something. Yeah. So. It's a. Yeah, super random appearance. Um, yeah, I completely, like, blanked on that. Hello. So, most of the movies on this list. Josh and I have both seen. But there's yes. one that I have repeatedly told him he needs to see, but admittedly it is kind of a hard movie to track down. But I'm going to talk about it nonetheless because it is one of my, not just favorite horror comedies, but one of my favorite comedies, period. And introduced me to the beautiful man that is Taika Waititi. And Josh about, just has that uh, awkward silence of, oh no. Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. What we do in the shadows. I can never stop talking about how great this movie is. So, what we do in the shadows. uh, I had the same experience with it as I do with Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, Just randomly one day, the trailer for this movie appeared on my YouTube suggested list. And I watched it and was just like, I gotta find this movie. So, I tracked down what we do in the shadows. And it is brilliant so basically what it is is if you like the office style of comedy like mockumentary apply that to the dudes that were in flight of the concords as three vampires that live in an apartment together yeah and it is wonderful um like um there's one character named deacon that they're just like deacon you're a cool guy and everything but you haven't done the chores and three weeks and we need you to start pulling your weight. Well, 
Nice to know you think I'm a cool guy. No, no, that, that's not what we mean. I know what you mean, but it's nice to get some affirmation. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, apparently they, they've made a TV show based they on They have, the- and I've watched a couple episodes, and they really it is absolutely in the same vein as the movie. So if you've seen the show, you get the movie, basically. Yeah, that's um, what I've heard. The first time I watched it, I was watching it with my roommate in college, Alex, and there's one scene that we actually had to pause the movie because we were dying laughing so hard. So basically for context, uh, one of the vampires um, can transform into an animal, but he doesn't quite get it all the way. So let's just say it's a cat with Jermaine from Flight of the Concord's face on it. Yep. And it is... Great and beautiful and just, oh, I die laughing every single time. And it introduced me to Taika Waititi, who would go on to become Korg, one of my favorite MCU characters. And to the point of when Taika Waititi directed uh, Thor Ragnarok, he actually included a What We Do in the Shadows reference. Um, when Thor's picking out a weapon for his first fight in the arena, there's a three-pronged spear, and Korg says something along the lines of, uh, that weapon only looks like it would be useful against vampires, ones that live in very close proximity to one another. It's like, that's such an oddly specific <laughs> reference, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Yeah. So, yes, it is hard to find at times, and Josh needs to see it, because it is his type of humor. Uh, but if you can find it, oh, totally. it is so good. Now, uh, I often debate whether putting this next one on the list as a horror comedy or a horror satire, but it's got some great comedic elements and that'll, that's what happens when you bring in Joss Whedon at some point to work on the script. And of course I'm talking about 2012's Cabin in the Woods. I, I was wondering if this, if Cabin in the Woods counted. Yes. Cabin (laughs) in the Woods absolutely counts. Because there's no part of this movie that makes you feel like we're trying to tell a serious story here. Yeah, as soon as they introduce Marty, who is like my favorite character in that whole movie. As soon as you introduce Marty, it's just like, oh, nope, this is a comedy too. So what Cabin in the Woods is, is your stereotypical teenagers go to a cabin in the woods for a fun weekend, only to be killed later. But it kind of plays on those tropes kind of like Scream, but not. Like, it is a fully self-aware comedy, but not to the same degree as Scream. And if you haven't seen it, we can't really tell you how it's different from Scream. Well, and the thing, too, is they show their card, like, really, really early. Like, yeah, opening scene, they give away the big twist, but you don't realize it's a twist yet. Yeah, and the final scene and and is is just the best. It's, it fits the tone it's of a the good movie. Easy watch. Yeah, it's it's a good easy watch. Yeah, it's Chris Hemsworth. Um, honestly, I think this was actually filmed before Thor. Yeah, oh, this but was. it got delayed due to the writer strikes. So it didn't come out until later. Uh, he's great in it as a jock that's actually smart, but gets dumber as the movie progresses because of certain factors that we can't say. Yeah. It was, the movie's pretty aware of just like, here's your jock character, but in most movies, they're idiots. 
here's a jock that's actually kind of intelligent. And it's Chris Hemsworth. He's always got charm. Oh, and he's got comedic timing. Unfortunately, he still couldn't save Men in Black. Yes, of course. Now, uh, there's a couple different... I don't want to call them buddy cop, but buddy movies that kind of also fit in the horror comedy genre. And there's no better place to start with this, with one that I really should have seen sooner, but is one of my favorite horror comedies I've ever seen. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh, man. Josh, you want to take lead on this one? I still find people that have not seen this movie. And it's hilarious. So basically, essentially, Tucker and Dale versus Evil is your typical, like, hillbillies in the woods getting blamed for, for you know, killings and stuff. Except but the it, hillbillies are the good it's guys. A t- story told, yeah, it's a story told from their perspective of legitimately just always being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And because of certain circumstances, it's hard to explain. It's hard to, like... Be like, nah, it wasn't us. Yeah, if you want to explain the whole movie to people, just show them the clip of, I think it's um, Dale is being chased by a swarm of bees while he's trying to do, while he's trying to cut down some firewood. And so he's running through the forest with a hot chainsaw and just screaming for dear life. And the teenagers see that as crazy redneck. But Dale's just going, I'm being chased by by bees and I don't want to get stung while carrying a chainsaw. Yeah. Or the or when um, the guy goes to tackle him while he's getting rid of wood, <laughs> and he bends over, and a teenager dives headfirst into a wood chipper, and then the cop just happens to come up at that moment, <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, man. he's like dragging, but he's just like, oh, but I think for me at least, the biggest part of why Tucker and Dale works is. Tucker and Dale, the actors that play them are so incredibly charming, especially the actor that plays Tucker, the big guy with the beard. You immediately like both of them. They're just like, I just want to hang out with you guys. Yeah, and I think it's, that's the thing too is, because sometimes when you have this kind of dynamic, uh, the because it is definitely older brother, younger brother kind of thing, um, it definitely can feel like the older brother is kind of like talking down to the younger one and trying to make him like belittle him and stuff. But like this genuinely just feels like two best friends who happen to be brothers, like wanting to get, get a house by the lake just for them. Yeah. Their chemistry is great. Alan Tudyk continues to be one of the most underappreciated actors in the business as he voiced K2SO and, uh, for you Disney fans, I think he was uh, Weaselton or Wesselton in Frozen. Dude's like voiced everything. He's also in Serenity. But to me, he one his role in Tucker and Dale is one of my favorites. He's great. Yeah. Tucker's great. If you haven't seen it, Tucker and Dale is hysterical. It's, it behooves you more if you have seen some teen slasher movies, so you can you're more aware of the tropes, kind of like Scream. But if you haven't, I think you could still enjoy it nonetheless. Um, yeah. Another famous buddy cop, not buddy cop, buddy horror comedy uh, that I actually only just recently saw, I know, um, is Shaun of the Dead. And I'll be honest, 
This is my favorite Edgar Wright movie. I don't like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I thought Hot Fuzz was just kind of okay. Ooh, I did like Baby Driver, though. Uh, but Shaun of the Dead, oh my gosh, this movie was great. It's, uh, it's, it's okay. I, it, really? I, I personally think I enjoy Hot Fuzz more, but that's because that's for different reasons. Uh, but yeah, it's all right. I don't mind it. Um, it definitely, again, something that is common here. It takes a, the, the typical, you know, uh, zombie movie and kind of does something just a little bit different with it. I think what I appreciate about both like Hot Fuzz, um, or Shaun of the Dead, or even Baby Driver, all of Ed Wright's movies, is the editing helps make the movies funny. Or yes. it's very Edgar Wright-ish humor of, um, it's not a lot of like, there's a couple like good one-liners, but it's a lot of great situational humor. But also, I don't say you have to pay attention in Edgar Wright movies, but if you do pay attention, it's funnier. Like, um, at the beginning of Shaun of the Dead, he's just like, hey, what do you want to do today? And literally everything that they say in that scene is supposed to be said jokingly, but it actually does spell out the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like, we'll have a Bloody Mary, in which case the first zombie that they meet is a character named Mary, who's covered in blood. Um, we'll have a couple shots at the pub, in which case the end of the movie is them firing a shotgun around at the pub. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like wordplay like that. Um, but again, like Tucker and Dale versus Evil, it all comes down to your two main characters. And Sean Penn and Nick Frost are great together. Uh, they're, they're the iconic Simon Pegg people. and Nick Frost. I mean, if I said that, said the name was wrong. How dare you? They're always great together. And Nick Frost, with fighting in my fa- fighting with my family, continues to prove that he's vastly underappreciated. Well, yeah. Uh, but both of them are great in that movie. Uh, I think this was more or less Simon Pegg's like, first big breakout role. Uh, yeah, I believe so as well. I think so. Then there was Hot Fuzz, and then the rest of the mainstream world got introduced to him with this little movie called Star Trek. Yeah, little little tiny movie. Which can't find its footing nowadays. Um, so... Like I said, most of these movies Josh has seen. We'll do one more that I know for a fact he hasn't seen because he told me, but this is going to kind of make me sound like a hipster and an old-fashioned movie fan for having seen this, but I I watched the sophisticated horror comedies like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. (laughs) I'm old school. I like my Universal Monsters, dang it. So, um... I've had that one on my shelf for a while, so I finally popped it in. And I'll be honest, it's really funny. So I did not grow up um, watching a lot of Abbott and Costello. I knew who they were. I know who's on first. I think everybody knows who's on first. Um, But I'd never seen any of their stuff before. So I popped in Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein just because I like the classic Universal monsters. I knew that they were prevalent in this movie. Um... I popped it in, and I gotta admit, it was the humor holds up really, really well. Of just fast talking, um, there the scene in question, uh, where Dracula first awakens. So I was getting mixed up. I think it's Costello accidentally awakens Dracula. So he's slowly opening his 
uh, coffin. And the look on Dracula's face as he looks who he's dealing with, with Abbott and Costello, of just like, really? This is what my life has become? Yeah. And, like, he actually starts to slowly close the coffin again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of, like, nope. Just no. Um, it held up really, really well. So my only real nitpick with the movie is it's called Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. Of all the monsters that are in the movie, Frankenstein gets the least amount of screen time. It should have been Abbott and Costello meet Dracula because Dracula is the main antagonistic force in the movie. He's more or less trying to bring Frankenstein back to life because apparently if he has Frankenstein, he can rule the world or something. And Wolfman's there to try and stop Dracula. So Wolfman's kind of an anti-hero. It's, it's kind of weird. Um, but I like it as a horror fan because this actually also marked the end of Bela Lugosi's time as Dracula. This was his final role. And it's a really good send-off of he's a really good Dracula, but he plays up the ham factor a little bit. Um, Wolfman's great. It would have been nice to see Boris Karloff as Frankenstein, but he was not back for this. Um, he may have passed away, but I can't remember. Um, but to me, it's going to sound weird, but my favorite universal monster of all people, because I liked his movie the best, was The Invisible Man. So at the end of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, I'm going to spoil this 50 or 60-year-old movie here. Um, <laughs> Abbott and Costello escape in a little paddle boat. They're just like, all right, and that's it for monsters. And then a voice out of nowhere goes, Oh, leaving so soon, you didn't even get to meet me. And all of a sudden, this cigarette starts floating out of nowhere. And he goes, it's me, the Invisible Man, voiced by Vincent Price. Mm. And I'm just like, yes, that is a perfect way to end your movie. Uh, by throwing the Invisible Man a bone. And it was, it's, if you can find it, it's probably at, like a library or something at this point. Um, it was really, really good. I was pleasantly surprised. But... We're not done with the old school black and white Frankenstein train because you can't talk about horror comedies without talking about the OG Young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks. Dude, it's the this is legitimately one of my favorite movies ever. Really? Yes. The lo- the hump the hump joke gets me so hard every time. And I know it's coming every time. Which which one uh, is it? The horse name? No, well, I mean that one's great too. But they, they they increase the subtlety of it as the movie movie goes on. But um, the uh, the hump joke. Oh, They're like hey, wasn't your hump on the other side? What hump? Like it gets me every time, and it shouldn't because it's the same joke over and over and it's over. The same again. joke as but, the mole in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes, it's oh, it's so good. See, my favorite one from Young Frankenstein is the one is the joke that I heard growing up all the years that I was growing up until I actually saw the movie. Um, was it's a t- it's somebody's brain, Abby something, Abby normal. Yeah. You took yep. an abnormal brain. <laughs> it's the best. I oh man. I also Even always like love the... when he's um trying not to hide the dead body from the inspector, and so he's like using the arm or whatever to shake the cop's hand. Yes, and there's even like stupid things, like when he stabbed in the beginning when uh when Doctor Frankenstein um <laughs> stabs it's his own hand like his own leg. Frankenstein! 
Oh man. Um, when he stabs himself in the leg, trying to make a point with the scalpel. Yep. It Gene just, Wilder. Gene is Wilder, man, the is best. just the best. He's great. Now, flash forward a lot of time in the future, and at the time, this movie was a good thing. Now we can kind of pinpoint this as the beginning of a terrible trend in Hollywood called the spoof movie. But back in the day, scary movie was a big deal, and it was actually pretty good. That first one was, at least. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really like uh, Scary Movie 2 as well. Yeah, I actually do have a soft spot for Scary Movie 2. I don't know what it is. Both of them are pretty dumb humor, but every once in a while, that's dumb humor's good. Now, the sequels yeah. got worse and worse, and they did usher in the terrible era that is the spoof comedy. But yes. the less we say about that, the better. It seems to finally have bitten the dust. Uh, but fun fact, Scary Movie was actually the original title for Scream before they changed it to Scream. Uh, Which but, is ironic I mean, because I Scary Movie the, loaned a lot uh, this, from Scream. Yeah, I think the second one for me kind of gets me with uh, its strong hand and uh, just pulls me in every time. Oh, with the little hands? Yeah, that's what I said. It's his, 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 uh, his strong hand. Oh, I thought you said ham. <laughs> I was just like, I mean, there's ham in that scene. It cracks me up. <laughs> grab me, grab me with my, grab me by my husband's strong hand. No, I, no, I'll take, I'll take your weak one. I'll, t- I'll take your weak one. Now, this next one on our list, it, I don't know if it's intentionally a horror comedy, but it is a great piece of cheesy action, nonetheless. Roddy Roddy Piper's best role ever in They Live. Oh, no. Why would you do that? What's wrong with They Live? (laughs) What's not wrong with They Live? That's the point. I don't know if it's intentionally what it is, but it becomes great. Okay, I'll give you that. So, if you don't know the premise of They Live, it's basically this guy who's more or less a loner, doesn't really do anything, um, comes across these glasses that show him the real side of the world that we've more or less been taken over by aliens that are trying to persuade us and take over our minds and whatnot. And what follows is the most cheesy but fun, like, 80s horror comedy, I think it, is a comedy? I think it's aware. If not, we're going to count it as one because it becomes so funny of legitimately a 15-minute long street fight between uh, Keith David and Roddy Roddy Piper. Yeah, which is weird, but yes. I mean, we've seen weirder, but... Oh, that's true. If Piper wasn't Piper, this movie would fall apart. He's by far the best thing in it. Which is hilarious that that's the case. And he chewed all the bubblegum in the world. I mean, would you have anybody else chew the bubblegum? True. Now, I have one more on my list. Josh may have more, but I have one that's fairly recent uh, that I wish this sequel wasn't on my most disappointing movies of the year list so far this year. Um, But I'll still hold a special place in my heart for the original Happy Death Day. Yes. That is a movie that on paper should not work as a horror movie or as a comedy. But at the end of the day, 
it excels at both. Um, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with Happy Death Day, basically picture the premise of Groundhog Day with the days repeating and everything and apply it to a girl in college being stalked by a serial killer. That's your movie. The girl has to yep. keep living every single day until she can eventually figure out who the babyface killer is. And by babyface, we mean he wears a mask, not actually he's a babyface in a wrestling match. Yeah. It's quite funny, honestly. And I was turned off for a while just because I thought it's a stupid premise. None of the trailers really won me over. And then eventually I saw the movie and was like, oh, this is actually really, really good. And I attribute most of that to, uh, I believe the actress's name is Jessica Roth. She is so charming in that role and has such great charisma. Of She goes from one of the most dislikable characters I've ever seen um, to a genuinely endearing and enjoyable character that was just like, I actually want to spend more time with you. Yeah, absolutely. Which, why, which is why I'm, I go back and forth as to whether or not I'm okay with the sequel happening, but you know, it's not really, did up you me, see so. the sequel? No, I have not. Don't. All right. Heard. Got it. It. Oh, I, even the people making the movie were just like, I don't think we're coming back for a third one because it's the second one is so frustratingly disappointing. Yeah, of, because it, like, see, what, it where are you like go with the movie? They forgot the first half of the movie. Yeah. So, like, without dipping too deep into spoilers, the opening scene sets up for some really cool stuff. That I was just like, okay, that's either gonna be in the tie into the end of the movie somehow, or in the next movie. But it never comes back, like, at all. Like, oh, uh, I want some explanation on this, please. Some, at all. Uh, but if we stick with just the original, um, great comedic aspects. The characters are great. A lot of great humor. Naturally, when you have a Groundhog Day premise, and the whole day's repeating, you're going to have some great situational humor with that. And the movie absolutely delivers on that. But it doesn't skimp on the horror either. It gets away with quite a bit for a PG-13 movie. Um, The nice thing with that is you can kill as many people as you want and the days will just keep repeating. So technically, this probably has one of the highest body counts we've ever seen for a teen slasher. But at the end of the day, there's only like one person that actually dies. Yeah, and it it's great. I wish the sequel was better, um, but I really enjoyed Happy Death Day. Now, Josh, is there any horror comedies that you think we missed? Ah, man, I uh, would you put Jason X on this list? I would. I forgot about Jason X. Oh man, the like I think what, what the whole movie is ridiculous, but the moment that gets me every time. Is when they're ha- trying to distract when they're trying to distract uh, Jason for you know just a few minutes so that they can I forget what exactly I think they're trying to get in a an escape pod or something, but they turn on the simulation in the room and it's two like really attractive women and he instantly goes over to them to kill them and like they switch away and like they switch back and he's got one of them in a, in a sleeping, in a sleeping bag, bag and he's bag. like he's just hitting him against a tree a tree and it's the most ridiculous like plot ever but it's so great yeah it to me it 
Jason X, at least with Jason X, it, the movie feels like it knows what it is and is tries to be stupid. It kind of looks no. like the fourth, if they ever made a fourth Xenon Girl of the 21st Century, just how it was filmed. Like, it's not super high budget or high quality, uh, and that's kind of what makes it funny. But I will say, it doesn't really skimp on the horror in that Jason X, uh, with the sleeping bag and with the... Um, Liquid Nitrogen has some of the best deaths of any of the Friday the 13th movies, but it's oh, got yeah. this like cheesy humor to it that's either intentional or not. Really, really works that I really enjoy. <laughs> like uh, the um, the drill bit kill. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Refresh my mind because all I'm thinking about right now is Halloween 3 with a drill bit. It's, it's, it's the one with the really long... Uh, like curve, like circular um, one where he like tosses the girl off of the balcony and it lands on the drilling. drilling oh equipment. yeah. 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 Kind of slowly swirls down it. <laughs> Is it Jason X or Halloween six? That there's a random spike on the wall, like a decorative well, spike. I feel like, I think it might be Halloween six, but that always makes me I laugh. So. Of, it's literally just a plain wall with a random spike. Like if a coat hanger was a blade type of thing. Exactly. And just it dies it was, on that. But like the, this movie basically takes the, uh, what could be potentially a really terrifying premise of you have this insane killer gets put, in, put in on space. ice. And then his body gets replaced by nanites. Like that's actually potentially really terrifying, but they just go with such a hilarious direction with it. And I, for one, am so glad they did. Uh, any other last-minute ones, Josh? Um, not really, unless you're going to count Jason versus Freddy. No, I would. I'm debating, and I kind of want your input. Would you put Scream on this? Um, no. Yeah, I don't, I've never thought it was, like, funny, funny, funny but, like, a meta comedy of like being self-aware of what it is yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything else um off the top of my head but nothing really comes to mind i mean movies like cabin and the uh, the thing too is if you go back and watch like some of the 90s like early like late 90s early 2000s um quote-unquote horror films some some of them can unintentionally be quite funny leprechaun Leprechaun, um, I thought there's certain parts of I Know What You Did Last Summer that I find absolutely hilarious. Yeah, um, I watched those for the first time this summer, and oh boy, those don't hold up. No, exactly. It, it, so you could argue that nowadays they could be considered, you know, horror comedies, but yeah, as far as like straight, like this is what they meant to do, horror comedies, it's not, it's about, it's about all I can think of off the top of my head. Well, what are some of your favorite horror comedies? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. Um, yeah, and if you haven't subscribed to us already, subscribe to, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on the YouTube channel at Uncharted Media. Um, before I officially sign off, I want to kind of give you guys a sneak peek of what we've got for the rest of this month when it comes to Halloween stuff, if you were curious about that. Uh, so next week, we will be going with the best um, family-oriented Halloween movies. So, like, ones that 
if you don't like scares, but you like Halloween movies, you're pretty safe with these. And we may have a special guest for that. Oh? It is not going to be a dog, Heather. As she's like, it's going to be a dog. It's it's not going to be a dog. Um, after, Why would we have a dog on the show, Heather? Because the dog can provide more input than Josh. Okay, first of all, I don't. That didn't the dog come would here do to research. I didn't come here to be attacked. <laughs> the week after that, um, we're going with the best. Well, best slash our favorite horror movie heroes. So we talk enough about the bad guys. Let's give the good guys a little bit of their credit. And then the week of Halloween, we're going to do the big one. Realize we didn't do it last year. So Josh and I are going to do our all-time favorite horror movies. Could be horror comedies. It could be horror movies. I think it's safe to say Halloween will be on our list somewhere. But that's, that's the rest of our month. What are you most excited for? Let us know. And stay sharp, movie guys and gals.